and please give a warm welcome to Pastor Bob Schwein. It didn't take me long of being a father for the first time to realize the kids make a mess. We hadn't even had our firstborn son for a day. We were still in the hospital when this became a real reality for me. Um, the way that they did it, they kind of hauled him around back and forth between the, the different buildings on this little cart, and it was kind of a plastic tub that he was in. Well, they'd wheeled him into our room, and we were taking care of him and enjoying him. And then he started to get fussy a little bit. And, you know, I'd taken all the classes. We'd done all the things. I knew that, that there were a handful of things that I needed to check. I mean, my wife was sitting there in bed having just given birth to the child, so I didn't want to try to get her out of bed to solve the problem. I knew I needed to step up to the plate. But what I first did was I checked the diaper. Sure enough, absolutely, that's what needed to happen. But the thing was that nobody told me that one of the first things that newborns excrete is this thing, I believe, the stuff— things, stuff, whatever. It's called meconium. This is the most unholy substance you've ever seen in your life. It's got the, the color, and it just looks like tar, really. That's exactly what it looks like. And this stuff does not come off. And this is my first diaper change ever. And so they've got this box of baby wipes that are there, and I'm doing everything. I want to be gentle. I mean, this is my new little baby, but I cannot get this stuff off, and I'm going wipe after wipe after wipe. I get to the end. I've gone through every wipe that they've given me, and they told me that there were some supplies in the bottom of this little cabinet. So I got down, and I got in this cabinet, and I was rummaging around, looking around for some more of the baby wipes that were down there. Finally found them. When I look up, I see this incredible stream of pee that's coming out of this tub, and I kid you not, the end of the stream went right into my mother-in-law's purse that was sitting there. I've never told her that in her life, and she's actually sitting here in the audience right now. I am so sorry, Marilyn, that I never told you about that. I learned right away, kids make messes. You know what else is true? I know that as we grow up in life, we still make messes over and over and over again. And you know what I'm talking about? When I'm talking about messes, that's just a kind way of talking about the sin and the brokenness and the weakness that all of us experience in life that causes damage in our own life and damage in the lives of people around us. That's the bad news. But today I want to talk a little bit about the good news. The good news is that God wants to step into that with us. He wants to help deal with that sin and brokenness and weakness in us. But here's the challenge oftentimes that I've seen in life. Is that from the time that we're young, oftentimes what happens is people around us, they don't help us try to understand the things that are going on deep in our heart. That more than anything, they try to monitor our behavior. It's like, what are the things that are happening on the outside of my life? You know, as a kid, you figure out pretty early on, like, what, what are the things that I get praised for? What are the things that I get in trouble for? You know, and I start doing the things that I get praised for, and I try to stop doing the things that I get in trouble for. But here's the problem. What that does is it just manages our behavior. It doesn't deal with the deep things that are going on on the inside of our life. 
And so we spend most of our time managing the outside. But here's what happens if we spend all of our time managing just the outside of our life. The stuff that's going on inside has its way of leaking out in our life at different times. You've probably all experienced that. So then you find yourself saying something and you're just thinking to yourself, where in the world did that come from? You know, these thoughts that come through your mind, they're just gross or evil and unkind. And you're just thinking, that's not me. What's the deal? Responses to people around us that are just inappropriate. And we start to think, what is this all about? What is happening inside of me? Now, you may not realize what's going on inside of you, but Jesus knows absolutely what's going on inside of you. He's, he knows that it's not an issue of your behavior, it's an issue of your heart. There's these things that are lurking deep inside of you that need to be dealt with. This is how Jesus explained it in Matthew 15. He says, but the things that come out of the mouth, meaning the things that come from the inside to the out world, they come from the heart. And these make a man unclean. For out of the heart, meaning the inside of who we are, come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. The issue are the things that are going on underneath in our life, not the things that are on the outside. But if we've grown up kind of in this environment of behavior modification, all we're thinking about is how do we make the outside of the cup look good? How do I make it seem like to everybody else that everything is okay on the inside? But like I said, the problem is, is that every once in a while, life bumps up into us, and what's inside the cup actually comes to the outside. And if you're like me, and I know I am, I don't want anyone to see the inside of my cup. I don't want anyone to know the things that are going on deep inside of me. In fact, I was just thinking about it. If you really wanted to make me squirm, make my skin crawl, what you could do is just say to me, you know what we did for the last month, Bob? We took this really cool GoPro camera and we followed you around for a month. You didn't know we were there, but we saw everything that you did. And you know what's cool about this camera? It not only shows what you did, it actually shows your thoughts. And it shows the motivations for the things that you do. And you know what we're gonna do, Bob? We've edited this. And today we're going to, with all of your friends here, we're going to put it up on the big screen and we're all going to watch it. You, you know what I would do inside? I would just be like, I am out of here. I am so going to hide right now. They might still see my legs, but I'm going to do my best to hide. That's what we want. You would do the same thing. If I knew everything, if we knew everything that was going on in your heart, and your mind, and your life, and you thought that the whole world was going to know about it, you would be undone. Absolutely, every one of us would be like that. I wouldn't want you to see what the real motivations of my heart are sometimes. The fact that I do and say things to try to make myself look better than I really am. I wouldn't want you to know how impatient and unkind I can be with my own precious wife and my own precious kids. I wouldn't want you to know the unkind thoughts that go through my mind that are so self-serving and self-centered. Our natural response for all of us, when we think that the, what's happening on the inside is gonna be on the outside, is that we want to hide. And we are not the only ones. This has been true from the beginning of time. And what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna take that little GoPro camera and we're gonna point it at the scriptures and we're gonna look at the very first married couple, Adam and Eve. 
and just see what was going on in their life as it relates to this idea of hiding. In Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 6, this is a story that's familiar to many of you, but I want to highlight some things. In verse 6, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. You see that? Their eyes were opened. They saw good and evil. They saw the good and the bad in themselves and in each other. And it says, and they realized that they were naked. So here's what they did. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They realized, I don't want people to see me. I'm going to sew these things together. I'm going to hide because I don't want people to know what are the things that are going on inside of my cup. That's what the first couple did. They tried to hide from each other, but then we're going to see that they even tried to hide from God himself. Now, I don't know. Playing hide-and-go-seek with God doesn't, seems like a pretty big challenge, but they gave it a shot. Verse 8 says this, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. They hid. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Even in the midst of our trying to hide, I love this picture is that God continues to pursue. He's not going to let us hide. He is going to come after us because he wants us to be known and he wants us to know him. In verse 10, Adam says this. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Again, that's our natural response. The same as Adam and Eve. When we think that people are going to know the things that are going on deep inside of us, our natural response is to hide. Now, they just used crude little fig leaves to try to hide for themselves. I think we get way more sophisticated in how we want to hide from God and from other people. See, we, we're not just covering our outside I mean, nakedness. I mean, we've got Eddie Bauer and the buckle to take care of that for us. But we've got some more sophisticated ways that we hide. We have fig leaves that I would call denial. We hide behind denial. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm just fine. I'm completely okay. We hide behind blame. We think, it's not me. It's somebody else's fault. It's them. If they hadn't done what they did, I wouldn't have had to do what I do. We justify things. I had to do it. There was no other way out. Falsehood. We try to project things toward people. We try to project things about ourselves to cover up what's really going on on the inside. And you could go on and on. We've all got our own fig leaves. We all use our own things to try to hide from people. But what does God want us to do with this reality of sin and brokenness and weakness in us? What are we supposed to do with this sin in our lives? And the good news is that God wants to redeem it. He wants to restore it. He wants to bring us into intimacy with him. But here's the deal. His solution for us and how we're going to do that is completely counterintuitive to what comes natural to us. His solution is confession. Our, our natural solution is to hide, but his solution is to confess. And when we say that word confess, what we're simply meaning, it simply means acknowledge. 
It simply means own it. It simply means agree with God about what is true about what's going on with you. The Greek word that's used that's translated confession in the New Testament means to say the same thing. Meaning the things that are happening outside in reality ought to be the same things that are happening inside of reality, inside the reality of us. It's that same idea where we get the idea of integrity, that we're an integrated person. The outside world that everybody sees matches the inside world. That's what God wants for us. And we get there through confession. Simply acknowledgement of what has gone on in us. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at a Psalm of David to help us kind of unpack what is God's perspective on confession and what are some of his specific instructions to help us think about how do we move toward healing and wholeness through confession. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the whole Psalm to you and then I'm going to go back and make some observation and reflections as we go through. But Psalm 32, all 11 verses, starting in verse 1, says this. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore let the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You, God, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. And I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and my loving eye on you, with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. David begins this psalm, if we rewind the tape, back to verse 1, by talking about the blessed person. And I think it's helpful if we define what we're talking about when we're talking about the blessed one. Because in our culture, there's a way that we talk about being blessed that is very different from the word that David is using here. When we talk about blessed, oftentimes it means that the things in our outside world, the circumstances of our life, those things are going the way that I want those to go. Financially, everything's great. Relationally, everything's great. Physically, everything is great in my world. I am a very blessed person. But what David is talking about here has nothing to do with outer circumstances in life. It has everything to do with inner circumstances. What are the things that are going on deep places in the heart? What he's talking about is a wellness of being, and he's talking about a deep fulfillment that a person experiences regardless of the circumstances that are going on in their life. And you see this is manifested through great joy, great passion for life, great freedom in the way we live and respond. It's just those people that are full of life, full of joy and passion. That's the blessed life that he's talking about. 
Who are the people that are blessed? People whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, and whose sins the Lord does not count against them. There's one question I want to answer out of this that I think is it's very, very basic to our faith, but I think I've, I've, I've got to recap it because it's so important. Who or what covers our sin? The blessed person has their sins. What is it that covers our sin? The Bible makes it absolutely clear that there is nothing that can cover our sin other than Christ's blood and his blood alone. That's the only thing. Christ's death on our behalf. And I don't have this scripture in the notes page for you. I apologize for that. But I think it's important for me to share it. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this. God made him who knew no sin, meaning Jesus. This is Jesus. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And what it's saying is that he became sin. Our sin was placed on him. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him, meaning when we are in him, we may have the righteousness of Christ. I'm gonna say it again. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of Christ. You see what happened there? Our sin was placed on Christ. Christ's righteousness was placed on us. Biblically and theologically, this verse is often referred to as the great exchange. And I think we hear that a lot around these circles and in church world. But friends, I've got to say this. Until we understand the magnitude and depth of that, and not just understand it intellectually, but that we actually get the reality of what happened there. That Christ took all of my sin upon himself, and what I received in return was his righteousness. We will never understand this thing of confession because we'll never understand exactly how God sees us. When he looks at you, if you are in Christ, he sees the righteousness of his son. That's what was given to you. And then lastly, it says this about the blessed person. It says, and in whose spirit is no deceit. In his spirit, in the inner life, the inner heart that we're talking about, he said, there's no deceit there. It is just wiped clean. And what he's saying is, is this is the kind of person that lives their life with their cards face up on the table for God and everybody to see. There is no deceit there. Their arms are wide open. That integrated life, what you see on the inside is the same as the person on the outside. There is no hiding in this person. That is what the blessed life is about. You so understand who you are in Christ that there's no reason to hide. But like I said before, our natural inclination will always be that we want to cover up. We'll want to hide from people. But David tells us there's a consequence in our life if we choose that route. If we choose that route to hide, try to hide from God and try to hide from people, there's a consequence there. This is what he says starting in verse three. He said, when I kept silent, meaning when I did not confess the things in my life to God, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Isn't that a great, not a great visual picture, but it's a graphic picture of what happens when we carry sin in our life, when we carry secrets, when we carry guilt. And you see that there's even physical manifestations of that. We experience the heaviness in life. 
You know, that, that sense, you, I know that I'm not the only one that experiences this. When I'm living with unconfessed sin in my life, and you just, your insides are just kind of getting eaten away. There's a, a dryness that you experience in your soul. You lose this zeal for life that you once had. And you just wallow in guilt. And it becomes such a destructive force in your life. Guilt will produce destruction in your life. Guilt, it'll destroy our confidence. I think about those times in my life when I'm carrying things that I ought not carry, that unconfessed sin before God and people. The last thing I want to do is be engaged boldly in the things of God's kingdom. I don't want to take risk. There's no confidence there. And I just think about those times and I think about times when I'm in those places where I don't even want to look at myself in the mirror because there's so much guilt and shame. And it just causes me to want to be passive, to want to shrink back from the things that I know that God would be calling me into, but I just continue to carry it. Guilt damages relationships. I mean, you can do your best to try to hide the things in your life as best that you can. You can try to squish them down, bury them alive, but they're always going to come back out. And when they come back out, they're going to explode in very destructive ways, oftentimes. Comes out in anger, bitterness, impatience, overreactions. There's just, if we try to bury it, it's going to come back to bite us. And the worst part is it's going to make us want to keep people at a distance. We're not going to want to get close with people. Because if you get close to people, they, they, they might be able to peek in and see what's on the inside of our cup. And heaven forbid, if we're going to hide, we've got to keep people at a distance. And we don't experience the intimacy with God and with people that he desires for us to have. And when we carry guilt, when we carry sin, it keeps us focused on the past. We're just completely stuck in our past. It's like instead of being able to look ahead and take on the things that we need to take on today, we're constantly turned around and we're looking at the things behind us. It's like, it's like trying to drive a car in this direction while you're looking in this direction. You're going to crash your car. You're going to crash in life if we don't know how to deal with guilt in our life. Well, David had this choice. He talks about this physical manifestation that he's having of, of carrying all these things and not being open with God and with people. And he's got a choice to make. What is he going to do? Is he going to confess? Is he going to acknowledge? Is he going to come clean? Or is he just going to put on that smiley face that some of us as Christians can do? And I'm just going to grind it out, grind it out, grind it out while inside I'm dying. He came to that crossroads. But this is what David would say. If he could stand right before you right now, he would say, take the fig leaves off. Once and for all, take the fig leaves off. And this is how David describes it, starting in verse 5, taking the fig leaves off. He says, then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And here's what God did. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. David said, enough's enough. Enough is enough. I'm going to show you God. I'm going to show you world. This is what's going on. And you know what God did? He forgave the guilt of his sin. That word forgave, literally translated means it lifted away. Lifted it away. You think about that just feeling of having things lifted off of our life, lifted off of our shoulders. That's what God did with David's sin. Several years ago, my wife and I were 
sitting in bed and reading, and we could hear some footsteps coming up the stairs at our house, and which isn't unusual. Our kids come up and want to say something, talk about something. But what was unusual this time was there was a lot of sobbing coming with those footsteps. And my son Josiah ends up standing at the foot of our bed, and he sat there just saying, I've got to tell you something really, really bad. So I'm kind of looking at my wife thinking, where is this going to go? And over the next couple of minutes, he began to unpack with me something that had happened over the last week at school. This was, this was a few years ago when we had that explosion in the downtown. Well, what his school was doing, a bunch of kids were raising pledges to raise money for the downtown. And what they were doing was they would get pledges for how many laps they would run around the school around the playground during one of their recesses. Well, the day that the recess came that Josiah needed to run the laps, he totally forgot about it, and he went and played football with his buddies. But he had in his mind how many laps he thought he could do, but instead of being honest about it, he just lied. And he told the teacher, that's how many laps I did. So he went to all the neighbors and people that he'd gotten pledges from, collected the money, and lied to the fact that he had run those laps, but he had never run them. And he just started to eat away at him on the inside. He just finally came to a breaking point where he said, I've got to do something about it. And so he ended up at the foot of our bed. So we sat there with him and affirmed him and said, Josiah, this is great, great for coming clean with that. Really appreciate that. And we started to make a plan. And so his plan was, I, I need to tell my teacher, I need to tell the neighbors, and whatever's going to happen is going to happen. So he seemed like he liked the plan. He left. About 20 minutes later, more footsteps, more sobbing. He came back up and he was standing in front of us and he just said, I am so scared. I am so scared to face these people. Nobody's gonna like me anymore. Nobody's gonna trust me anymore. No one's ever gonna believe anything that I say. And I just said, buddy, like sometimes when we come clean with things, it creates a little chaos in our world, but you're, gonna, you're doing the right thing. So the next day, went to school, told his teacher, went to all the neighbors, told them, I wish I could show you a video of what it looked like when he came back to our house, having gotten right with those people. There was a spring in his step. He was just so excited that lifting that David talked about, you could see it in my son. And I remember thinking to myself, oh man, if I could only have learned when I was eight years old the importance of getting right, being honest, acknowledging, confessing, getting right with people. So you're not carrying that around in my life. I was so proud of him. But it's true, in the short run, being honest about the things that we need to be honest about creates a little bit of chaos in our outer life. But what it does is it starts to calm our inner life and bring us to that blessed place, that blessed place that David talks about. But everything in us is just as fearful as my son was to get right with people and to be honest about the things that are going on underneath. What gives us the motivation? What is the basis for us to boldly come before God and say, this is what I've done? And boldly before people, this is what I've done. And here's the bottom line. We don't have to hide because God himself has become our hiding place. In Christ, God himself has become our hiding place. This is what David said in verse 6. He said, Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. And here's the answer for why we do not need to hide. David says it in verse 7. You, meaning God, you, 
You alone are my hiding place. You, God, you protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. We don't have to hide from God, is what David's saying. We actually hide in God. We don't have to run from him, we run to him. And he wraps his arms around us and we hide in him. You know what the reason is that we can do that? Is because of this. Because all of our sin, our guilt, our shame was placed on Christ. And what were we given? We were given the righteousness of Christ. That's how God sees us. When he looks at us, that's what he sees. We don't have to fear him. We can run to him and be honest with him about the things that are going on inside of us. Oftentimes, people will say, well, okay, you're talking about the Psalms here. This is the Old Testament. You keep talking about Christ. Well, let me just say this briefly. The Old Testament is always pointing to Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of all the things of the Old Testament. But if you want to see a great picture from the Apostle Paul that explains this same principle in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 4 helps us understand Paul says this, since you then have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Here he makes it clear. He says, for you died. Again, you died with Christ. Your sin died with Christ in him. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. It's that same picture, that great exchange. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That's the basis. Because of what God has done for us in Christ, we don't have to hide from him. He invites us to hide in him. And friends, that gives us freedom and courage. We don't have to be afraid. We can go to him. We can go to others. We can be honest and take the fig leaves off. But what, is it, what does it look like? Like, what, what are some practical things that I can do to take the fig leaves off in my life? I'm so glad you asked because I've got a couple of ideas for you. The first one is that you would just take time to allow God to shine the light of his truth into the deep places of who you are. Just open up your life and be honest with God and just say, God, would you show me the things in my life that are causing me sin and brokenness and weakness. David said it this way in Psalm 139. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now intellectually, this is not that hard to apply, but practically, I see that we oftentimes can take very, very little time to allow God to do that. We've got to create some margin in our life, create some space where we actually sit down and ask God those questions. What do you see in me? As a disciple of Christ, and we talk about this over and over around here at Journey, there's two questions we're always answering, asking and answering and letting the Lord answer. Just like David did in Psalm 139, those questions are, God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me about my heart? What are you saying to me about what's going on underneath there? And the other question is, what do you want me to do about it? What's the God-honoring response to what I see in there? The first thing we need to do is just take time to examine our heart 
And the second thing we've already talked about it is just acknowledge your sin and accept responsibility for those things. Easier said than done. But I'm just saying, just throw the fig leaves off. No more denial. No more blaming other people. No more rationalizing. No more trying to deceive yourself and trying to project things that aren't true. Just own and acknowledge the things that you've done. The third thing is that we need to accept God's forgiveness. Probably the most famous verse on confession, maybe in the New Testament, is 1 John 1, 9. And it simply says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. She's saying God will do it. God will respond. He is faithful and just. He will forgive you. Will he forgive you because you confessed your sin? Nope. It's not about your confession. It's about what he did, about what Christ did for you. It's not our confession that forgives us. It's Christ's blood shed for us. But it's that confession, that owning, that acknowledging that creates intimacy with God, owning those things in our life. We don't have to beg. We don't have to bargain. We don't have to bribe God to forgive us. He's already done it in Christ. But what we need to do is we just need to simply believe. Just take God at his word. Take God at his word that I am who he says I am in Christ. And the last step, and I know that as soon as I say this, there's going to be people that inside are, are going to balk and just say, I, I don't think I can go there. The last one is admitting your faults to another person. Admitting your faults to another person. Confession is not just about us admitting our sin to God but it's about admitting our sin to other people as well. And this is where this fits in my mind into this series that we call Physical Faith. Because it is a very tangible action that we take to be open and honest with another person about the sin, brokenness, and weakness that's lurking underneath in our life. And this is how the Bible describes what goes on here. In James 5.16, James gives us this command. He says, therefore, confess your sins to God? No, he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that, meaning the result is, you may be healed. There's something that happens in our life when we confess our sin to other people. You know, I was thinking about this. And I'm just thinking, could I explain why it is that there's something healing and transformational that happens when we confess our sin to other people? And the answer is no. I'm not sure that I can. I have some theories. I have some ideas about that. But honestly, I can't explain it. But you know what I can look you in the eye and say? I can say I've experienced it. I can honestly say that sins that I tend to just confess to God, I tend to repeat. There's something about inviting other people into that with me to be honest with them and to have them pray for me, that there's power over that sin and that brokenness that gets broken inside of me. And there is genuine healing that comes. I don't know how it works, but I know that it does. And I'm thankful that James commands it because it's so helpful. Don't just confess sin to God. Get, get that out in the open with other people. Like David talked about, that person in, in whose spirit is no deceit. We've been talking a lot about David 
today. Michelangelo, in one of his uh, masterpieces, uh, did a sculpture of David. It's probably one that you've seen before, somewhat familiar. We have this picture. We, do, we did put a fig leaf on it so we could be family friendly around here. But there was a question one time that was asked of Michelangelo about this masterpiece. And the question was this, how did you do it? How did you do such an amazing masterpiece? And his answer is priceless. He said it was easy. I just cut away everything that wasn't David. Do you get the magnitude of that? Like, like for us, I mean, we would have just looked and probably saw a big block of stone. But in the master, he could see David in that. And what he sought out to do was, I'm just piece by piece, chunk by chunk, I'm going to cut away everything in that that's not David. And a masterpiece was born. You know what I know is true of you? Is that you may be looking at yourself, you may be looking at other people and just thinking, I'm just a big old stinking block. But you know what the master sees when he looks at that block? He sees a masterpiece. And what he's going to do for the rest of your life, as long as you will let him and respond to him, is he's going to continue to cut away, cut away, cut away everything that's not you. Because he knows who he created you to be, and he is not going to stop working and growing and transforming you to become who he made you to be. And confession and repentance of sin is a major part of what it means for us to cut away everything in us that isn't who God intended us to be. When I think about this, it's this idea of confession. It's not like God wants to grab you by the throat and shake you and say, confess your sin, confess your sin. God doesn't want your confession. What he wants is you. He wants you fully living out who you were created to be. But what he also knows is that will never happen if all these obstacles and these things in our life aren't cut away cut away, cut away. And so he invites us to confess to him and to others. Be honest about who you are and what you've done. I want to ask you to just put your things aside. And I want to just for the next couple of minutes, I want to try to create a little bit of space for you to stand before God the same way that David did and just ask him, God, would you search me? Would you search my heart? Would you search me and know my anxious thoughts? Would you just ask him, God, is there any offensive way in me? And respond to whatever it is that God brings to your heart and to your mind. Father, we just want to say thank you for what you did by sending your son to die in our place pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus, thank you that you took upon yourself our guilt and our shame and our sin and our brokenness. And in exchange for that, Jesus, you extended your righteousness to us. And Jesus, I'm so grateful that because of what you did, we don't have to hide from you. We can be totally honest before you and before others because You've declared us as righteous. And yours, quite honestly, is the only opinion that matters. And you've declared that we're righteous. 
Jesus, would you help us take that truth to the depth of who we are so that we could respond rightly to you when we see sin and brokenness and weakness in ourselves. God, thank you for making a way to make us more like your son. And it's in your son's powerful name that we pray, Father. Amen.